0: Hello and welcome to episode number 169 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books and with me today is Rebecca Weatherspoon. Rebecca and I have been talking online for a long time but we finally met face to face at RWA this year and I thought it might be nice to have a a podcast conversation with her because she's got a lot to say and it's really interesting. We talk about writing across multiple genres, starting out in fanfic, reader responses, what it's like to work in television, and some of the challenges facing writers of color. We also talk a lot about Rebecca's latest books, including a May-December novella and a trilogy about personal trainers in LA, and she has a ton of recommendations, so beware this one might be expensive. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of New York Times bestselling author Samantha Young's One King's Way, the new white-hot novella from the On Dublin Street series full of passion and drama, on sale wherever e-books are sold. The podcast transcript this week was sponsored by Jenna Sutton, author of the Riley O'Brien and Company series published by Berkeley and available in print and ebook. The second novel in the series, Coming Apart at the Seams, is available for pre-order now and will be released on December 1st. And Coming Apart at the Seams, pro football player Nick Priest is trying to win a second chance with denim heiress Tegan O'Brien. You can read an excerpt at jennasutton.com or connect with Jenna at facebook.com slash jennasuttonauthor or on Twitter at J. Sutton Author. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is, although I bet you can guess. And I will have links to all of the books that we are discussing and links to some of the websites that we mention as well. So you can check the show notes or the podcast entry at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. And housekeeping! If you would like to sponsor the podcast or the podcast transcript, Please get in touch with me, Sarah at smartbitches I would love to hear from you. And now, without any further delay, on with the podcast. All right, so let's start. Um, with you, why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? Oh, goodness. No, no, no pressure, you know. This-
1: I'm sure you might have heard this before, but I think, like, the bio and, like, synopsis are, like, the, the like, worst part for authors. Like, we hate talking about ourselves, well, me at least, and the synopsis writing book. Um, let's see. I'm Rebecca. I write contemporary romance and a little bit of paranormal, both lesbian and bisexual and hetero. And I like to do a little adult and a little new adult. While I'm at
0: it. Oh, no, no big deal. Yeah. I think the worst question to offer authors is, um, so what's your book about? Because then you're like, <laughs> well, um, yeah, how many words do you want me to use? Because <laughs> I could use like 90,000 because that's how many I just used.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's the worst. Or I could
0: just say, you know what? Let me just
1: read the the blurb on the back of the book for you.
0: Yes, which is great because you didn't write it. Unless you're self-publishing it, then you did. Yeah. When I had to write the cover copy for the novella I self-published, I didn't actually write the cover copy until I was confronted with that tiny little box on the back end. Like, okay, enter the cover copy. And I was like, oh, Oh, I need to write some of that. Yeah, that's that's pretty –
1: I think one book I might have written the the cover copy – Right, like right when I finished the first draft, and I think that was only because someone had asked me a question about it. (laughs) I was like, Oh crap, I have to write, I I should probably just like write this now, but yeah, usually that's like the very, very, very
0: last thing I do. Like, oh, there's a little box, I gotta enter something, might as as well figure this out. You're like, Oh, I have to like upload this to stores, maybe I should write what it's about. (laughs) Here are some words, you will like them. So are you all self-published, or do you have some uh, books that are published through a publisher as well?
1: No, my um, lesbian and bisexual romances are published through Bold Strokes Books.
0: Nice. Your most recent publication, was it the Fit Trilogy?
1: Um, I had a novella called So Sweet came out last week, actually.
0: Here's the easier version of the question. Yeah. Do you want to talk about your newest novella, or do you want to talk about the trilogy? How many books of yours would you like to talk about?
1: Let's talk about all of them. Um, I love this plan. <laughs> We can talk about so sweet and fit. Um, we can talk about the fit trilogy first, though. That's that's totally fine.
0: All right. Um, so tell me about the fit trilogy, because those are some covers.
1: Yeah. Like, I. Whoa. It's, actually, it's it's kind of funny because today seems to be the day to be talking about Twilight again. So, well, no, I, I say that just because I I I was birthed out of the out of the Twilight fandom as well. So
0: you uh, were? I didn't know that.
1: Was well, yeah. I was. So I you was, wrote
0: fanfic about Twilight?
1: I did. I did. It was fun. I loved it.
0: And that's so how I ended up writing my writers. own original stuff. So many writers came out of the Twilight fandom.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think is really cool because I think a lot of us, you know, we were writing fan fiction and then a lot of us, it gave us the romance bug.
0: Right. Um, right.
1: And we realized that we could, you know, take a crack at it and it worked out. So.
0: And one thing about fanfic is that you get that immediate feedback of you don't suck please keep going yeah I will pay you to write more please don't stop what was
1: interesting about the feedback for me because the last fan fiction I wrote I actually wrote the whole thing in one go and then uploaded it chapter by chapter because I didn't want reader feedback and so that actually helped me when I started writing my first book
0: that is interesting yeah, I didn't. I didn't want reader feedback because you know fanfic reviewers and readers they are not shy about telling you what they oh, want to no, see next. Not. Next it's, time you should write a scene about these two characters doing this. It, it's a group project for oh, sure.
1: Yeah. It, is, it is absolutely a group project, but it's fun. I mean, that's that to me. That's the fun of it because you have so much participation. You end up making a lot of friends that way. I think that's the, that's the great part about it. Um, but bringing that back to fit. Yeah. Uh, my cover artist is also birthed out of the Twilight fandom, so I found her through other Twilight fanfiction people, and she is outstanding. And I could not every single cover she's given me has been amazing. So I can't. There's no complaints. Those, those covers, Co- yeah, <laughs> they, they're not bad. No.
0: Nope, and I'm totally nope.
1: fine bragging about them because I didn't make them. So <laughs> Isn't that it's, the best part? <laughs> it's totally fine where I could say, you know, my cover artist is the bomb. And she, she knows it. She's great. So Fantastic.
0: tell us about the Fit Trilogy and what led you to write it.
1: Sure. Uh, oh, God. This time is going by so fast. I'm already in 2015. So this was NaNoWriMo 2013? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Why not? Let's go with that. Okay. Um, I didn't want to write a full length novel in that month, but I wanted to write something. I had never done NaNoWriMo before, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it, and I'm going to write something, and I set my word goals for the day, and that ended up being the first version of Fit. Um, I had wanted to submit it to a major publisher, which I did, and they didn't want it, which is fine. These things happen. Um, so I took it back and while I was editing it, it kind of, the other characters kind of started filling themselves out. And I realized that I wanted to give Armando and Kira their own books. So it just kind of, it, it turned into its own thing.
0: So when you were writing the trilogy, you, this is, this is personal trainers, right? Yes. Do you think that is a a sort of a new trend or a new spin on, um, you know, the contemporary sort of intense romance?
1: I am, I'm going to say this right now, probably the last person you should ask about trends. I am, (laughs) seriously, I firmly live on my own island of Misfit Toys. I'm the last to know everything. I either know stuff super, super early, like oddly early. Like I knew about in sync like eight months before tearing up my heart at the charts. Like I was like way, way ahead of the curve with instant, <laughs> which was really weird, but I'm either so, like dumb early to stuff or I'm so late that it's laughable. <laughs> so I'm, I'm the last person to ask about trends. I, I live in LA. A lot of people I know are like just deeply involved with their personal trainers. Personal trainers are a thing. I have a few friends who are personal trainers. And I just thought, I don't know, it felt almost like a little silly in a good way. But also, actually, one of my friends, she actually ended up getting involved with her trainer, and they're married now, and they have a one-year-old. Um, yeah, so this happens. This is not, you know, this isn't 100% fantasy, if you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I just thought I thought it just be, would be something fun to write about.
0: Plus, you know, personal training and fitness is a very intimate thing.
1: It is. It's a very intimate thing. And if you're doing stuff like, even like Pilates training and stuff, a lot of times your trainer's touching you, and yeah, you're letting them know a lot of things about your body, and you're, it's a lot. sometimes it's emotional, so yeah, no, it's very, and oftentimes, too, if you're spending time with your trainer, depending on what your life is like, you know, you might be spending more time with your trainer than you're spending with other people, so.
0: It's depending on how dedicated you are to whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, certainly depending on how dedicated you are to your hot trainer. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the first book in the fit trilogy.
1: Sure. Um, the first book stars Violet. She's, uh, it's funny. A lot of, i there's been a couple questions about whether or not Violet was black, maybe because I'm black, but Violet is not black. Violet is uh Chinese. She was adopted by a white
0: family in Connecticut. Um, wait, wait, wait. So you're black, but you wrote characters that aren't I'm black. Shocking. Is that allowed? This happens. This, this, I've been told this happens. I've, I feel like there's a tribunal that needs to I be. Know. I know. I'm okay. Uh, sure. All right. I asked for special permission from the committee. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, it was just interesting because a lot of times I've had a few people ask me, you know, is Violet Black? And I was like, no, she's definitely Chinese. And she says she's Chinese in the book. Um, so, yeah, she is a producer for a show on the Food Channel. And if you you've ever worked in film and television production, there is lots of free food. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of free food, lots of catering, lots of snacks. And if you've ever worked on a show for the Food Network or the Food Channel, there's also more food. Um, So she has found herself in a situation where she's gained a few unwanted pounds and is looking for a way that is good for her to shed those pounds Enter Grant Gibson, uh, trainer extraordinaire, who is based not so loosely on Chris Hemsworth because I have a Chris Hemsworth problem.
0: Well, so Uh, many, many people. It's a little bit of a problem. I'm coping with
1: it. My significant other's coping with it. We're getting getting through life together with Chris as a part of our lives. Um, And they meet, and Grant is a dominant, and he kind of stupidly suggests to Violet that... They should train, but that she should also be his submissive, uh, which does not go over so well, because I feel like in the real world, that would be a very awkward conversation, which it is, but
0: they end up working out, and love ensues. Oh, my. So did you used to work in television? I did, yes. Can you talk about that a little bit, about what you did, or is that not something you can talk about?
1: Sure. I did all sorts of stuff. I did web series for Disney. I did... Like, really weird, low-budget movies, not-so-low-budget movies. Um, and then I ended my career in television working on reality TV. So I did – actually, the last show I did was a show for the Food Network.
0: Oh, wow. So what were your roles on the shows? Were you in production or behind the scenes? Well,
1: when I was doing movies, I was kind of bouncing all over the place.
0: I knew a lot
1: of people, so a lot of times people would just call me and be like, oh, like, I need a set dresser, and I know you're competent. Come and do this for me, You're you know, I need, I need just someone to do wardrobe errands for me. I was all over the place. I didn't. Well,
0: there's a lot of appreciation for someone who says, I need this done, and then somebody can say, I can do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, we did, my uh, boyfriend and I were drivers on a German television show. Like, we've done a bunch of, I've
0: done a bunch of so. stuff. L.A. sounds like a funky, funky place. It is. It is. where the magic happens. <laughs> One of the things you said at RWA that I still think about is, I don't write in the genre black lady. <laughs> right. I
1: do not. That, not. that is not a genre I write in. I write contemporary romance that features all sorts of different people.
0: But because you are a black woman, yes. you are ascribed the genre yes. black lady. Yes. What, is it, what does that mean? If someone's like, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? What does that mean?
1: Well, I think what's in, what, the one thing I've noticed, which is interesting, again, is readers will ascribe the characteristics that are kind of like the ideals in their head. So, for example, I mean, we remember that whole Hunger Games kerfuffle when the movie came out and everyone was shocked that Rue was black, but she's black in the book. Because she's described
0: um, that way she's, in the yeah, words.
1: She's, com- she's black in the book. And so
0: is Katniss. I believe Katniss is dark skinned as well.
1: She's not white in the books either. So it's interesting that people will interpret things kind of the way their brain wants to interpret things. So when, when you say actually what I've noticed is not that people have issues with characters of color per se. I don't think that's the first hurdle. I think the first hurdle is authors of color have issues getting characters of color out there. Because I know a lot of authors of color, if they write white characters, it's a little bit easier for the exposure to come. And then I know if white authors write characters of color, they have no problem selling that. Which, again, is a perfect example with The Hunger Games. Because Suzanne Collins is white. So it's very interesting... I think sometimes people will see the author and then kind of mold their ideals and their and their imagination will mold to like what the characters look like, what they're doing, in accordance to what the author looks like often.
0: Which is weird. Very weird. And I don't know, does that happen in other genres? I think so. I I I I'm willing to say yeah. I don't know, honestly, simply because I don't pay that much attention to other genres because I like the one that I'm in, but yeah. um, and I'm selfish that way. But one thing I do know is that for many years now, there has been a sort of a, I want to call it the glamorous conflation of book and author. Like the author has to represent the book with, mm. with, with a certain sense of glamour or has to represent the idea of romance. And that idea has changed but I know I found online from the early early 80s or late 70s. I'd have to find the link. There was a Life magazine uh, photo spread, and the photographer who had done all the photographs of all these famous romance authors had put that collection on her own personal website, and it was like like one, two doors away from GeoCities. It was black background with some purple text and then all these photos. But the photos were of authors wearing mink stoles and lying on satin sheets. And I mean, just incredibly, they were glamour shots before glamour shots (laughs) to represent the life as the romance author. And then Mm -hmm. you had Barbara Cartland who did that same thing for her entire career. Her brand was to make it seem as if she was her own books. And then that gets parodied in film. I know Meryl Streep played a character that was based very loosely on Barbara Cartland, and even with you know the author photos for writers like Nora Roberts, you'll have a very simple, elegant, contemporary image for her contemporaries. But her romantic suspense and some of the even Rourke books, she's on a bridge with a long, really awesome black leather trench coat and some boots, and the image of the author is connected to the marketing of the book right so when right. you have that as something that is kind of it's it's sort of baked into the genre in a way yeah when you have a writer of color what do right. we do with a person who doesn't fit this like you said this expectation and um i don't want to say mold because that sounds creepy <laughs> like you're all popping out of a play-doh mold yeah yeah but you you have this sort of expectation of the author being closely married to the book Right. And so what do you do when the author is not closely married to the book, you know? Like what right. do you do when there's no visual connection, which is which is kind of how it should be because the person in the book should be totally different independent things. Exactly. And it's weird. It's so
1: funny cuz like sometimes and I know like authors don't you know, especially at big houses and stuff, they don't they have no control over their cover art. Nope. Um and I've seen I've met a bunch of authors who have covers with women on them that look exactly like the author and you're like what it's it's weird it's very it's 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 a little bit subtle but like not at all that to me that to me is strange I wouldn't want a book I mean I'm gorgeous don't get me wrong but I wouldn't (laughs) want I wouldn't want books with me on them because I'm not writing about I mean yeah sure my characters have personality traits that are similar to me and uh, there's stuff coming out of my brain, but I'm not writing about myself. And I don't want, I don't want readers to read about me 28 times either.
0: I want them to experience different people each time they pick up a book. Hence the job of writing fiction to create different humans to write about. I mean, I wouldn't want to write about myself 27 times either. It's definitely, yeah, it's
1: interesting that that, I'm not I'm not sure if it's like that in other genres. I'm not sure. But it is like that in romance.
0: I mean, even for example, Rebecca Brandwine used to pose as the cover model. Like she would get the cover art and then have a dress that looked yes. exactly like the cover model. Yes. Yeah, and then yeah, her yeah. author photo would be the same. And you, you know, there was a period of time when every single romance author had the same glamour shot headshot. Yeah. So like hair and then like Resting their chin on their fist (laughs) or or putting their fingertips, just your fingertips though, just your fingertips on the side of your jaw, which the first thing I look at when when the first thing I think is, oh my gosh, you're gonna break out. Don't touch your face there. That's where you get bad pimples. That's funny.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I feel like in I started women of color in romance to try and level the playing field somewhat um, in mainstream romance. And I feel like it's interesting. That I've learned a lot about romance and race relations in the last six months. I've learned. I have learned a lot. I'm sure there are plenty of authors who came before me, and this is nothing new. Um, but I've definitely learned a lot about how readers perceive characters and author, how other authors perceive um, character in relationship to author. I mean, it's very. It's it's interesting. I mean, again, it's. I, I, It's bigger than romance, of course. This is like a global societal issue. This isn't just, it's not just romance that's experiencing this. but
0: You mean the racism that's sort of baked into everything? Yeah, 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 a little bit. (laughs) A little bit. That Um, Easy Bake Oven has been running for a long time. And I think that's also the tricky thing, is that a lot
1: of people are having a hard time coming to terms with, how long this has been going on? I remember I saw this great interview with... um. Oh, goodness. Her, I'm, her face is in my... I'm, like, looking at her face.
0: Oh, welcome to my brain. Oh,
1: this is going to drive me crazy. Alfred Woodard was giving an interview, and she was talking about how the United States has been a slave economy longer than it's been anything else. So you have to you have to understand that anti, specifically anti-black racism has been a thing, like, is something that this country was built on. And then... You don't say. I know, right? So then you have... you. But wait, have, wait,
0: wait, 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 we have a black president. We're post-racial now.
1: He's on his way out, so I don't know if things might... Things might we, no, he
0: cleaned it all up. We're not racist anymore. <laughs>
1: That's what blacks said after he leaves. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's something that a lot of us have a hard time coming to grips with because it's a, it's an ugly thing to deal with. And so you don't, you don't want to think that it's a a thing, first of all, and then you don't want to think it's a thing that takes the thing that you love or that you have
0: perpetuated unknowingly.
1: Romance writing is unique in the sense that we're the one genre that kind of embraces what love means to the human existence. I yes. think even if you have books in literary fiction that, re- like you know, are deep, intense love stories, however the book ends, we're the only genre that actually embraces that and celebrates that. I was try- someone was trying to tell me that romance was like silly, and I tried to explain to him that like you know he loves Star Wars so much and he loves Lord of the Rings and those are love stories too. They're just about familial love, and so when I to- put it that way, he was like, oh, you, know, you have a point.
0: Well played. Well, yeah, I
1: mean, I, th- I think almost every story is a love story. It just depends on where it goes, <laughs> to be completely honest.
0: I completely agree.
1: When you talk about the ugliness in the world, you don't want it to taint that thing that's supposed to be about love. You know, you don't want it to cast a cloud over it. So that's the thing that's tricky about, you know, dealing with some of these harder issues when talking about romance and the romance industry.
0: I don't want – obviously, I don't want um, race and color and cultural division to be the only thing I talk to you about because, I mean, I I am aware of your job representing all black people everywhere. All all day, every day. All day, every day. And at this moment, you represent all the people of color on the whole universe. Like even the worlds we haven't discovered yet, those two. They they nominated me. Yes, no pressure or anything. (laughs) One thing I do want to ask, you mentioned, because you started romance, women of color in romance, I was about to say romance of women of color, which is a totally different dating site, you know, <laughs> women of color and romance, you, you've learned a lot about a lot of the things that affect authors of color. What are some of the things that you have learned that, you know, you wish could change in a hurry? Well, I think
1: one thing that's important to remember is that. Um, publishing is a business um, and it is a multi billion dollar business. Yep. So, when you start there and then you find authors who are having a hard time getting mainstream exposure because of their race or any factor. So, I mean, if you're talking about, I mean, we've been talking about diversity a lot. So, you're talking about someone's race, their sexuality, their gender representation any disabilities they may have, um, any of those things, when those things affect their ability to make money off of their craft, then that to me is a problem because those are issues that shouldn't stop you from making money off of your craft. Um, and again, I don't think quality has anything to do with it. It's not a quality issue. I think it's a, le- there's, it's a level playing field issue. So... To me, what, what I was seeing was that the playing field wasn't level. Um, again, I don't want to take um, responsibility for this. I'm definitely not the first person to notice this. I'm not the first person to say something about it. I'm not the first person to do something about it. I'm just a person who has a voice in this. First and foremost, I've noticed that when you have conversations about women of color not writing romance as much, because that was like the first conversation, like a few years ago there was a lot of conversations where it was like women of color aren't writing romance. It's not that we're not selling them. It's that they're not writing the books. So we now know that that's not the case. That's not the case at all. And I've been able to find hundreds of women who, women of color and not just in the United States, all over the world, which has been good. Thank God for the internet. Thank God for Twitter. Cause I've been able to find women who don't live in the United States who are writing romance, which is great. Um, and they're writing, and they're writing a lot. They're writing a lot. Um, I'm also noticing that a lot of women of color are actually doing quite well with self-publishing. Um, and I I think the thing that's tricky is that I think a lot of people are perfectly happy self-publishing, so I, I'm i not trying to be an advocate that like everyone who's self-publishing all of a sudden needs to... Uh, get a big five contract. That's not what I'm saying. I, I, I think that the larger mainstream publishers need to open the door and ex- accept that women of color are out here writing romance novels or writing good romance novels. And by not making it a level playing field and giving us the contracts and giving us the shelf space or the digital shelf space or whatever, you're, Perpetuating the idea that, one, we aren't writing, two, we're not worth selling, and that this is something that the readers don't want, which I don't think is true.
0: I have many, many problems with the way sales are counted in romance. Yeah. And it's such a large problem that it's not easy to fix. I mean, for example, even a royalty statement that I get is 60 to 90 to 120 days old. Right. Or it's a whole six months out of date. I can't do anything with that data. And even then, not all retailers report consistently, and some report. Some retailers don't report at all. So right. you have this incredible number that is ultimately meaningless because you don't know how it was made. Exactly, um, which I find to be just ludicrous. Right. Like, how is it that we can't actually get accurate numbers that represent how much a thing has sold? Like, right. really, we can't do that?
1: so if you're if you okay. So for it is it's this weird cart before the horse before the egg chicken thing. If you Are not putting out if you're not putting out any books by women of color, you can't be like books by women of color don't sell. Or if, in a sense, like I know, I think Kamani's books are more expensive than some of Harlequin's other titles. So if you're pricing the
0: books higher, you you mentioned that at one of the sessions. Yeah,
1: yeah, Farah brought that up. Farah brought that up. Um, So if you're pricing your books higher, then you're driving readers away as well. So, and I also, too, I'm also wondering, like, so we have Nalini saying she has a book out today. Rock Redemption came out today. And people have been talking about Rock Redemption for months. And people love her books. And I don't know when people are doing the data if people consider her to be a woman of color because she's successful. I know that sounds crazy. But Nalini and... Sylvia Day are both women of color, and they are doing very well. So I wonder, again, when people are like, oh, I don't know, books about women of color don't sell. It's like, are you sure? Are you positive? And that's what I think is the problem when people frame their mind's definition of what a person is in correlation to their sales potential in correlation to what they look like. So that's what, that's where I think you run into a huge problem.
0: Yes. And obviously all of these problems are not easily solved.
1: They're not, they're not easily solved. And I think, um, again, I don't know exactly what I know in a sense, what would drive sales? I think, I mean, again, word of mouth is a, is a big deal. I remember back when, actually Twilight, was coming to an end, and Stephanie Meyer recommended The Hunger Games. And everybody I knew who was reading Twilight ran out and bought The Hunger Games. Yeah. And that's millions of sales right there. So I think again, word of mouth. I mean, it's interesting. Authors have an interesting relationship with each other that I think readers don't know about. And it's a great relationship. Um the thing I love about romance is that other romance authors are extremely willing to help other romance authors and that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean I know I can I can think of dozens of people off the top of my head if I had a question about anything I could email them and they would say, "Oh yeah, just try this book." I mean romance
0: authors are so helpful to each other it's amazing. As a community we could potentially help fix this situation. Yes. What are some things – okay, you, you go ahead, and then I want to know what are some things we can do.
1: One thing I've noticed when people recommend books to each other, I notice like for – I'll use myself as an example. I notice when people recommend my books, they mostly recommend my books when people are asking for something very specific. So if people are asking for lesbian erotica, that's when people recommend my books. If people are asking for lesbian paranormal, people will recommend my books. Um, Now more so if people are asking for BDSM stuff, people will recommend, like, fit, and then some of my other lesbian stuff has BDSM elements. Or if people ask for something written by a woman of color. Very rarely do my books pop up on, excuse me, general romance lists. Huh. And that happens a lot. I think a lot of women of color will tell you, or authors of color will tell you, that if people are just having general romance conversations, our names don't pop up. Which is another thing to me which trips me out when people talk about historical romance, and I'm waiting for someone to mention Beverly Jenkins, and people don't mention Beverly Jenkins. That happens a lot, and that to me is insane. Because Beverly is awesome, she's prolific, her books are amazing. I
0: love her.
1: She has a huge readership. And I also think, I mean, there's times, too, where her books will come out. I'll, I'll see that they don't get the same promo as other historical romances, too. And that, to me, is crazy. Because she's also, she's she's on an island right now. Piper Hughley is writing historical romances, but they're not writing in the same exact time period. And Be- Beverly is doing her own thing. So I'm surprised that she's not out there more. And I'm not saying this to downplay her success because she's, I mean, Beverly's doing the damn thing. Um, but I am often shocked when I see lists or promotional ads or something and her stuff's not in there. It doesn't make sense to me. I think to me, it's interesting that I think people will bring up authors of color when people want to know about authors of color. We're not brought up in the same conversations. We're not brought up I mean, if you ask me, if people are like, what's your favorite romance? I mean, I will probably give you a Beverly Jones book as a um, recommendation.
0: I and uh, my, my team, we were all fighting this morning over the uh, digital arc of her newest book. <laughs> like, we, we, were, we were verbally yelling at each other about, we, we, were, we were squabbling about who was going to get to read it first and review it. And um, the, did you know about this book?
1: I she posted the cover on her Facebook page and I almost fainted. I was like, what? Oh, I'm so,
0: excited, so I'm really excited to read it. Yes. Oh my I, gosh. The 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 description is the cover is gorgeous. Yes. But the description is amazing.
1: Oh barely. Um <laughs> so I think what how authors could help each other is by not pigeonholing each other. And I mean, to say this, you know, point blank, and I know I'm going to catch heat for this because I catch heat for talking most of the time, but I would love it if some big name, and I'll say it, white authors, would, like, take a couple minutes to, like, read outside their usual circle of whatever and not necessarily, like, an author that they're friends with or just, just explore a little and say, oh, I tried this book by so-and-so, and and I really liked it. Courtney Milan, she had recommended um, Treasure to people one of my books before I met her. She had picked it up, and she had read it, and she really liked it. And one morning, I signed into Twitter, and everyone was retweeting my book. And that's because Courtney has a big following, and people love her books, and they listen to her, and... That, I mean, I think that's the thing is, like, romance is so word of mouth. So it's really important when people who actually have a platform, it, it really does matter when you talk about other people's books. So when you never, ever talk about authors of color, then that's a problem. And I even noticed this with lesbian romance. Like, I know a lot of people in mainstream will come to me for lesbian romance recommendations because they know for sure that I read it but they don't know what anybody else who does I think authors can do a lot to help the industry and I, it's I keep bringing up this chicken and the egg in the cart but I think publishers have a lot of responsibility because I think it would be very helpful if they took some of their existing authors and pushed them to the forefront but I think authors can help each other a lot quite a bit and I think I think that will change. I mean, I think in TV and in the 90s, there was a lot of black television shows. But now what's great, we're seeing a lot of Asian television shows on mainstream TV. A lot of South Asian actors are being incorporated. More Latina actors are being incorporated into things. And I think that's important. I I mean, you have shows like Jane the Virgin that are doing very, very well. I love that show. I love that show's amazing. I
0: love the way that Spanish is so integrated into the language of the show because there are families that speak in multiple languages all the time.
1: Of course. Of course. And I think that's, I think that's really important because our country is, I mean, I'm like starting to hate this world, but our country is very diverse. The, uh, I have
0: been challenging myself to write about things and not use the word diverse.
1: Oh, it's, it's like my, I can't stand that word Because, now because it doesn't
0: mean anything anymore.
1: Yeah, Like diverse is a
0: shortcut for saying black people, which isn't yeah. right, but that's how some people take it. And I don't like to be misunderstood. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's, I think we have, our country is filled, filled with millions of different people. And, it does us all a disservice to make shows and movies and books that only show one perspective. I mean, I don't. I'm interested to see what's going to happen. When I was when we went to RWA, I think what was tricky is that maybe I don't think mainstream publishers have an idea how many people are self-publishing. Uh, because a lot of people are self-publishing a lot. Um, and I think what's tricky for authors who want um, to work with a mainstream publisher is finding editors and people who want to work with someone and are aware of the fact that that person is not, this is not their first time at the rodeo. Cause I met with some editors at RWA and I got the first timer treatment, which was interesting. I got the, I got the debut author treatment.
0: But you're not a debut author.
1: Right, and some of the some of the editors were shocked to find out that myself and a couple of the other women I was with were not debut authors. So that's another thing that's an, that's another interesting aspect of it. But again, I'm speaking for authors who want to work with mainstream publishers. There's plenty of people who are self-publishing and are happy doing that, and that's awesome. And I want them to, you know, mow their passions the way they want to do. That's awesome. It'll be interesting to see how things change in the next couple of years. Because I I don't know what mainstream publishers are doing behind the scenes right now. I mean, there could be some, in some instances, I'm sure there's some places that are actively looking to diversify their catalogs. And I'm sure there's some places who aren't. But again, I don't know what that's going to look like two years from now.
0: Well, I know that one of the things that, that, One of the things that I have noticed, especially in the last year or two, is that the number of people who connect online to discuss a problem that they're having creates a conversation where more people say, oh my God, I'm having that problem too. Right. So just like when you're facing a problem personally or you know with something that's broken you know that you're not the only person who's ever faced this problem before it's rare and you know someone has written about it and someone probably has an article and if you're really lucky there's a really badly done slideshow that'll teach you how to fix that problem (laughs) this is see this is what this is what the diversity and romance project needs more slideshows if you had more slideshows probably (laughs) be fixed already way more slideshows. you need more slideshows that take 25 minutes to load because they've got eight ads on them (laughs) That that's exactly. how you get mainstream attention.
1: <laughs> I need to strengthen my PowerPoint skills. Yeah, that's
0: exactly it.
1: <laughs>
0: but because there are people who can say, oh my gosh, I'm not the only person having this problem. There's more people who can say, okay, I think I know how to, how to make this particular problem better. And that includes people who work in publishing. So I didn't want to have you come on the podcast and just talk about diversity, which is a word we both don't want to use, but see, I feel bad because, you know, I, it's, it's not like I actually think that you write in the genre black lady, but you have really intelligent things to say. And you, you are one of those people who is able to cogently and logically distill a massive problem into a few key points. And that's a really important skill to have. So it's really interesting to listen to your perspective, but I don't want that to be the only thing you ever talk about because that yeah. would be. I'm,
1: one, I'm totally fine talking about it too. I completely brought this upon myself by starting women of color and romance and being really loud and vocal about it on Twitter. So I'm not that surprised people talk to me about it. Anyway, we can talk about something else. But.
0: Okay. So one thing that I always ask is for recommendations. What are you reading that you have loved that you're really excited about? <sighs> okay.
1: Okay. See, this is what happens when you come back from conference season, right? Yeah. Right? And you have, like, three books of your own that you have to write, which causes its own problems. So I always – I have my two-read list is disgusting. Yeah, like
0: so's mine. I know that pain. Ugh,
1: my two-read list is so, so, so long right now. Um let me tell you a little bit about some people I've been reading recently, though, when I sit down and force myself to read. Um, Yvette Hines, she writes contemporary and paranormal. She has this um, shifter series. They're, they're bear shifters, and they all kind of take after different fairy tales. I'm going to bring up the first. I read all the books in, like, five minutes. I'm trying to find the first Oh, I inhaled them. Inhaled (laughs) them. Bob, the first one, was like, oh, there's five. Let me read all of them in one sitting. Let me bring up the first title. Hold on one second.
0: What did you like about the series? What did you like about this particular world that made you mainline all five books?
1: Well, what I thought was clever was that she does little spins on fairy tales. So the the first book is called Bears Gold. And it's kind of like a little spin on um, Goldilocks, which I thought was really cute. The, I'm a sucker for heroes with kids, so the hero has kids, and it's just it's like a cute. There's a, like a perfect amount of angst in all the books, because everyone's either like fighting their bare nature or they don't know if they want to join the den. Like it's. it's <laughs> I love books that are fun, and these books are fun. They're very, very fun. And the sex in them is really, really
0: hot. So, wait, what? they're fun and funny and self-aware and cute wow. and sexy. Yes. Oh, shit. i to have to add them to my list now. And all the heroes are, like, hot. Oh, <laughs> darn it. Yeah. All I... the heroes are, like, super
1: hot. Like, okay, okay. Like, <laughs> super, super, super hot. Um, so, yeah, the first book is Bears Gold.
0: Awesome. That's the first book.
1: Um... Yesterday or the day before, I finished Serving Pleasure by Alicia Rye, which I'm sure a couple people have recommended to you because that book is the book.
0: Serving Pleasure is the one where there's two brothers and the woman is a chef?
1: No, that's the previous book. Serving Pleasure features – that's, that's so Debbie's funny. book. But Serving Pleasure features Debbie's sister, Raina.
0: Oh, okay. God, that's just embarrassing. That's that's
1: glutton for pleasure. This is me trying to remember books off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, I'm not really good at this either, and I should never ask anyone else to do
1: it. I know, right? So yeah, I read Serving Pleasure over the weekend. I finished it over the weekend, and I loved it. Really hot, super hot hero. Super hot hero who's an artist. And the heroine is a total sex pot, and she knows it, and I love it because she celebrates her sexuality, and she celebrates... Her body and it's just fantastic. I wish more heroines said that books.
0: This is not a menage like the no, uh, the like... Glutton for pleasure is a menage, right? That one I read.
1: Okay,
0: but serving pleasure, I have not read. I'm going to add that to my she list too. It. So, how what did you like about it? The fact that the heroine sort of owned her own sexuality and her own sexual appetite.
1: oh she and I, again, I'm a big fan of. I mean, I feel like to me, like life is depressing enough. So when I read stuff, I really want to be, I want to be entertained. I want to laugh. Um, and this, and Serving Pleasure is really funny too. That'll be, I, most of my recommendations will probably be with like a, a thread of humor in them. Um, I, I love books that make me laugh. Holly Trent has a book called Seeing Red. That I also have read semi-recently that I loved. Hero is a nerd, but he's like a hot, giant, redhead nerd. I like big dudes. Maybe that's just a theme. I just like big dudes. I don't know. Also, a good layer of humor, the sex, and it's like really, really, really hot. It's in her, um, it's in a series. It's in her Hearts and Mind series.
0: Right, I just see that.
1: Um, I read Calculated Exposure first. And the hero in Seeing Red is in Calculated Exposure. And I was really excited that he was getting his own book.
0: Oh, bother. This is going to be expensive. Ah. <laughs> when people ask you for uh, lesbian romances, who hmm. do you recommend? Okay, so she's going to laugh. Colette
1: Moody. I try not to get on her nerves. But pretty much every time I talk to her, I'm like, so uh, when's the next book coming out? <laughs> she, she, her books are amazing I would just say pick one if I was going to recommend one the title is really long and I always, I always shorten it and I'm going to give you the full title because I don't want people to not be able to find the book The Sublime and Spirited Voyage of Original Sin
0: I just pulled that up and scrolled past it because I was convinced that I had accidentally stumbled onto a children's book
1: no it's Lesbian Pirates and it's amazing.
0: I'm sorry, you said lesbian pirates and oh my god, really?
1: I want someone to make a movie out of this book so bad. It's so good, it's so good.
0: Oh my goodness, how have I never heard of this until now? I don't know. Man, but- I am listening to a lot of the wrong channels and I have expanded my channel listening substantially and I'm really bummed that I missed this, wow.
1: It's such, it's such a good book. Her books are also very funny. Um, Parties in Congress is a contemporary romance about a staffer who falls in love with a politician. That's really good too. Both by Klet Moody. Oh um,
0: my.
1: And that's a contemporary. Klet's on it. She is, she is really, oof, she's amazing. Her books are just fantastic, and she's like a total geek. So she does a re- she does a fair amount of research. Um, if you're following this presidential election, follow her on Twitter. She was tweeting the Republican debate. It was amazing. She is, Colette's like a fantastic person, smart, funny, just brilliant. Her books are fantastic.
0: So the sublime and spirited voyage of original sin is also very funny.
1: Yeah. As is a lot of humor. parties in Congress is funnier. I I would say parties in Congress is a straight up romantic comedy. Um, but original sin has a good layer of humor, in it. but it's a really good like action adventure story too. And the sexy times are good. It's a good book. It's an overall fantastic book. I recommend that to anybody. My new
0: book, So Sweet, is out now. <laughs> Please tell me about this book.
1: I was, sitting here, I was like, I didn't talk about that book at all.
0: Um, yeah, so I have a new
1: book out um, called So Sweet. It's a novella. There'll be three again as I did with the Fit Trilogy. But this time, all books will be about the same couple. Oh. Um, yeah. And it's funny because I wasn't planning on writing this at all. But my cover artist, after we had finished doing all of our goodies for RWA and RT, her and I were talking, and she actually asked me to write this book for her. Um, she wanted a May December romance, and then I kind of went wild with the whole sugar daddy aspect of it. Um, so basically, the book is about a young lady who. Loses her job and her roommate is also out of work, so they decide that they're going to join a sugar daddy service to try and find some rich guys to help them pay their bills for the meantime. And uh, Kayla, my leading lady, ends up finding love with an internet billionaire named Michael. Aww, it's it's a it's a light and fluffy one. I'm just gonna say this up front. I know light and
0: fluffy billionaire sugar daddy romance.
1: It is. A light and fluffy. I know some people like their angst. This is a low angst one. So if you if you like angst, just be warned that this is this isn't gonna have you, you know, tearing at your shirt and crying. This is definitely a light, funny, fluffy story.
0: Yay! I'm so pleased to hear that. I love a okay. good light and fluffy. I'm I am we are preparing to sell our house and move. To, to Maryland. and so my brain is so exhausted keeping track of all of the things that I have to do that at this point my I, I can't even read words. I need like pictures. <laughs> like I, I started reading manga and comics and my brain is like this is exactly what I needed thank you because I can't do words right now As I just, yeah. I, every, every day seems like it's five days long because I'm doing so many things at the same time and so much is going on and it's all happening like right now so I totally need light and fluffy I need light and fluffy like you have no idea I got it for you
1: I think that's I like writing light and fluffy I think sometimes I need light and fluffy so if I can inject more of it into the market I'm happy too
0: And that is all for this week's podcast. I want to thank Rebecca Weatherspoon for joining me to talk about her books and all of the things that she's doing online. This podcast was brought to you by Intermix, publisher of New York Times best-selling author Samantha Young's One King's Way, a new white-hot novella from the On Dublin Street series full of passion and drama, on sale now. The podcast transcript this week is sponsored by Jenna Sutton, author of the Riley O'Brien and Company series, published by Berkeley, available in print and ebook. The second novel in the series, Coming Apart at the Seams, is available for pre-order now and will be released on December 1st. In Coming Apart at the Seams, pro football player Nick Priest is trying to win a second chance with denim heiress Tegan O'Brien. You can read an excerpt at Jenna Sutton or connect with Jenna at Facebook.com slash Jenna Sutton Author or on Twitter at Jay Sutton Author. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is Deviations Project... This is day Fiddles, and this track is called Three Ships. You can find their music on iTunes or Amazon or wherever your fine music is sold. You have questions or suggestions, we have email. You can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. If you have ideas of people we should interview or you have a question that you'd like us to answer, please do feel free to contact us. But in the meantime, on behalf of Jane and Rebecca and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.
1: Yes, have fun with the, the banging and the noise.
0: Woohoo, It's not the good kind of banging.): <laughs> I mean, I can't really say that very loud because I don't want my contractor to hear, but it's not the good kind of banging, I have to say. But That's then you could write You could write contractor romances. Well, uh, you know, actually, well, Ashley,
1: I will say we were talking about this the other day, we think the, the blue-collar hero might make his, make his comeback. So Oh,
0: absolutely no question that you're right we'll about
1: see. that. I'm hoping. Absolutely.
0: I'm hoping.